our reading today uh, is in the New Testament. Uh, This morning we were in Exodus, this evening we are in Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, and we'll read from chapter 3 verse 1 all the way into chapter 4 verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator." Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Amen. I asked you a few questions this morning. I've got another one for you. Do you have a loud piece of clothing? There's some chuckles there, so there was definitely somebody that has something. Do you have something that's loud, uh, ostentatious? Is it, is it bright and colourful? Uh, is it something that maybe you're not allowed to wear out because you're partner doesn't want you to. Do you have one of those, I wonder? I have one of those. I didn't bring it today. I forgot to bring it. It's a a really beautiful um, turquoise blue Hawaiian shirt with orange and um, yellow pineapples on it, I think. 
Lovely. It really is. And I'm not allowed to wear it very often. Not that it, we have the weather for it. But it, it's, it's there, isn't it? It's in your face. It's bright. If I had it, I'd show you. I wouldn't wear it to the pulpit. Don't worry. But, but it's there. I have it in my collection of things. And I'm not allowed to wear it because it draws the eye. It, it gets attention. It's very different. It's very different, not just for what I usually wear, but compared to everybody else around me at the time. Unless I'm on holiday and it's a British tourist trap, I'm going to stand out because I'm so different if I wear that. And when something's different, it does catch the eye. It draws attention, maybe unwanted attention. But some things are meant to be different. Some things are meant to draw the eye. Some things are meant to be seen. And it helps to be different if they're meant to be seen. Uh, what examples can we think of? Well, high-vis jackets. They are meant to be seen because if they aren't seen, there's a lot of problems. There's, it's dangerous. Road signs. The new sparkly 20-mile-an-hour signs. They're reflective and they're white and they're red. They're not like the grey and beige buildings around it. They're not like the grey sky or the green glass, grass. They're meant to be different because they're meant to be seen. Maybe a few of our personalities are a bit different and so that causes us to be seen as well. Here in Colossians, here in Colossians 3, Paul is telling us we are to be different. And not just different like my Hawaiian shirt. That could be burned easily. It's got no purpose. We're to be different from the world around us. If we are Christians today, we are to be different from the world around us for a purpose. For a purpose that we would reflect God's love. That we would reflect God's work within us. That we would reflect God himself. We are meant to be different. And Colossians is a brilliant book. I've spent a long time in it over the last few years. Colossians 1, as we read to begin our service, Paul is laying out, who is Jesus? Is he just some man that God raised to the elevation of being holy? No, he is God himself. Not made in the image of God. He is the very image of God. And that changes everything if we're to choose to follow Jesus. And then in chapter 2, he goes on to look at uh, why Paul is an apostle and then into Jesus' work on the cross. How he disarmed and cancelled the charge of the legal indebtedness, of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, Paul says, and having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. And now, Paul goes into his usual system of having known all this great theology, all this great truth of who Jesus is, of who God is. What are we meant to do with it? Are we meant to just take that home and go uh, sit there and think over it? Well, yes, that is good. But if we only sat at home, we would waste our lives. We are called to be different. And so we have 
four, no, three pictures that I found that Paul gives us. They all begin with H, so if I'm here in the future, I quiz you. Uh, they all begin with H. We're going to look at the images of hell, heaven, and home. And, and these images are, are helpful for us to see how we are meant to live or how we're not meant to live. So let's look at that first image that Paul shows us, and that is the image of hell, verses 5 to 11. Here we have strong words to begin. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He starts as he means to go on, strong and, and, and bold in how he writes. And then he gives us two lists, two different lists. There is a separation between them because there is meant to be a separation between them because there is some distinctions. That first list there in verse 5 Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. What's up with this first list? What's going on with this first list? What Paul is showing us here is all of these sins that are directly and in consequence against God. All sins are directly against God. But hopefully we'll see the distinction in a minute. Here we are choosing to focus our eyes away from the God who we say we love, who we say we follow, and choosing to follow something else. Choosing to love something else. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires are choosing to love a created thing more than the Creator. And then greed, which is idolatry. Again, turning your gaze away from God to love something else. The first sin, the, the first list, uh, first of the Ten Commandments, sorry, is what? You shall have no other gods before me. And you cannot sin without breaking that first one. You can break all the others, but by doing so, you also break the first one. Because by doing so, you do not love God and he is not your God. That is how you are acting. A picture paints a thousand words. Our actions show more than what we say. The Israelites in the Old Testament, as we looked at this morning, are soon to forget. One commentator says that that should be the epitaph over the grave of Israel. They soon forgot who God was. They are called a stiff-necked people. They are quick to turn away and very slow to turn back. These sins show, these list lists, sorry, are, are sins against God and how we have so many other desires than Him. And what is that followed by? Verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Where does that take us back to? Where, where is that meant, uh, meant to rekindle a memory? What is that meant to trigger? The garden. What is the first sin in the garden? It is not just eating something. It is not just doing what they wanted. Adam and Eve sinned because God directly told them, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of life. And what do they do? They think... I want that, and I want that more than I want what God tells me to do. I want to choose what is right and wrong for myself. 
I will not listen to what God tells me is right or wrong. I need to choose, and so therefore, I need to be God. And because of that, the wrath of God entered the world. Sin and death entered the world. Because of that, we die. Because of that, we fail. Because of that, we are broken. If that's the first list, what on earth is the second list? Verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. And then verse 9. Do not lie to each other. Why do we have the separation, Bill? Because that first list was us turning our eyes away from God. This second list is how we choose to express ourselves in harmful ways towards the world around us. Anger, well, we know that one, surely. We know what anger is. Enraged, that is the public outpouring of that anger. But I had to Google what the definition of malice was. Malice is harboring that anger. Malice is holding that grudge, waiting for the right opportunity to get whatever it was back. To hurt them back, to to turn and hurt whoever. And, And this is obviously against the world around us because when I'm angry, what do I do? Well, I don't just swear at myself. No, I, I, when I get angry, what do I do? I lash out at the world around me. Who feels your anger most in your life? If you were to be rageful, who would feel it? It would be your spouse or your children or your work colleagues. Road rage is a thing. It is a thing. And it's not just, oh, people are angry behind the wheel. No, road rage means that they take their anger out on the car in front, the car behind, the person who hurt them, whatever it is. Anger, rage and malice is felt by those around us, those we love most of the time. And, it go, and Paul goes on, slander and filthy language. I'm not going to swear at the sun. I'm not going to swear at a rock, am I? If I'm talking slander, if I'm talking slanderously... It's about somebody. And it's about somebody usually who has hurt me. Do not lie to one, each other, to one another. Again, you don't lie to anything but a person. If the first list is showing us how we want to be God, how we raise ourselves above every other person and every other being, this second list shows how we cut everyone else down around us and this creates what this creates hell this creates the hellish world around us this creates darkness and trouble wars are not started because people are loving each other well there's no such phrase called hell on earth Heaven on earth is a phrase because it's for those very rare occasions when things are perfect. Things can't be wrong in any way. We don't need a phrase called hell on earth, do we? Because there's things wrong with the world around us every single day. But he doesn't end there, thankfully. He goes on. Paul gives us a second image, and that is the image of Heaven, and that's verse 12 to 17. Having given us two lists of sins, 
Two things that we should put to death, two things we should put off, two things, two lists of sins that we should not do. Paul gives us one list to counteract those. He gives us a list of characteristics to put on. That's the distinction there. It's not just to do and not do. The distinction has to be as if you took off a piece of clothing and put another one on instead. It's not putting one over the other, trying to hide and and make a facade. No, there has to be a distinction. Otherwise, you're still in hell. So where is this list? Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against somebody. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. If, if you like imagining things, making things images so you can remind yourselves of them more readily, think of a colonnade, a long line of pillars Each pillar has this name stamped on it. You've got the pillar of compassion, the pillar of kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Things we want to do, things we should want to do, things we should be doing. But what do they stand on? They stand on a foundation of forgiveness. And they hold up the ceiling that has the word love written on it. Why is it in that order? Why are these things in a certain way? Why have I described them as such? Well, because they all have to stand on the foundation of forgiveness. Because without forgiveness, you can't do any single one of them. I cannot be compassionate if I'm still angry at so-and-so. I am not compassionate towards them. I'm definitely not kind. If I have not forgiven them... I cannot be kind and gentle and humble. Because in my mind I'm going to be cutting them down and tearing them to pieces and whatever it is. Without forgiveness, these are not attainable. But then, why do they hold up this ceiling of love in that image that I told you about? Well, because you cannot love genuinely. You cannot show love genuinely you cannot love is not complete without doing these things if i am not kind and if i am not gentle if i am not humble and compassionate what kind of love is that if i can do all of these things but be kind so i'm compassionate i'm gentle i'm humble and i'm patient but i'm nasty or i'm harsh You look at that and you say, well, no, (laughs) you've got it wrong, Evan. That's not love. If I'm not gentle, well, what are you doing? Go, you should go be somewhere else. You should be in prison. Or if you want a different image, you can think of it as a tournament style layout. We had the World Cup a few months ago last year and What happens in a tournament? You cannot progress through to a second round without fulfilling the criteria of the first round. In a sports tournament, you cannot progress to round two if you do not beat all of your opponents in round one. I cannot progress to round two unless I forgive. 
And in round two, I am meant to be compassionate, humble, gentle, kind, and patient. And so therefore, if I am not those, I cannot progress to round three. Love. They are all tied in. They are all closely tied together because they all matter. You miss one of them and there's a problem. And there's not many smiles now because I'm sure we can all think of how many times we've not done these things in the last week. Forgiveness has to be the foundation. I think that's one of the more important ones on there. Not that they're not all important. It is so important to forgive. Because, my friends, if you do not forgive, you are not a church. I've been in churches with grudges and grievances, and it's a disaster. If you do not forgive, you are not a church. You are just a group of people that show up and then go out the door. You are not a family. How can you be a family if you are not forgiving? Because therefore, if you're not forgiving, you're not loving. As we've just looked out logically from this, from this list that we're given, you are just a bunch of people with a common interest, but one that you do not act upon. It is dangerous to gather together and not forgive. And I haven't been told this by Dad, oh, I need you to go speak to my church about forgiveness. No, don't worry. That's not the case. This could be preached to any single church. Because every church needs to know that forgiveness matters. Because each church is a group of people gathering together on a weekly basis. And if you're more than three people, there are going to be problems. You step on people's toes. That's just what happens. I offend you. You offend me. I'm hurt by this. You're hurt by that. Just fill in the blank. Things are going to go wrong. Eventually, maybe David's going to hurt you or, or, or say something and you're going to think, wow, that was maybe directed at me. Probably wasn't. But something's going to happen. And I'm sure things have happened. Forgiveness is key. But if there is forgiveness, it becomes amazing. And I'll give you three reasons why it's amazing. Because, having looked at what uh, verse 13 says, at the end of verse 13, forgive as the Lord forgave you, we remember who has first forgiven us with all our troubles, with all our failures. How many times have we turned away from him? How many times have we hurt him and failed him? Still he forgives us, still he offers us forgiveness. Time and time again, in light of that, there are three reasons this is amazing. You can forgive yourself. If God has forgotten it, if God has forgiven it, the highest authority in the entire universe has said, you are not guilty, you can forgive yourself. Number two, you can forgive those around you. And so you can grow closer as a family. You can actually begin to serve well together and want to be with one another. And then finally, having seen all of that, being able to be forgiven by the Lord, being able to forgive yourself and forgive others, 
Number three, you can grow deeper in your relationships with one another. Think about it. If I meet one-on-one with a friend, but I think, no, I don't think he can forgive me, I don't think, if I tell him X, Y, and Z, he's going to look at me and say, no, who are you? Go away from me. Well, I'm not going to tell him X, Y, and Z, am I? I'm not going to share my burdens. I'm not going to share too much about myself. It's going to be a surface-level friendship, more like an acquaintancy than anything. But if I meet with my friend, and I know that I can forgive myself, and he can forgive me, whatever I bring before him, and he can forgive himself, and I'm able to forgive whatever he's done, then I can share And be honest and not worry about what our conversation is going to be. And then there's trust. And then there's growth. And then there's true friendship, brotherhood, love. Forgiveness is important. So is the rest of them. Because they all build towards love. And then what does it lead us to? Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That should then lead to peace. And so we should want to foster peace together. We should not want wars in the church. And then it leads to thankfulness. Let the message of Christ dwell among us richly. Dwell, that's that's a very important word there. Dwell, what does that mean? Well, Where do you dwell? Do you dwell on a park bench? I don't. Do you dwell in a hotel? Of course you don't. No, I think Homebase had it right when they said, make your house a home. There's a distinction. Where do you dwell? You dwell in your home where you're comfortable, with your friends, with your family. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, if there is forgiveness the message of Christ can dwell and will dwell among us richly as we serve together, as we strive together. We've seen heaven. We've seen hell. And then, verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is laying out for us a a system of what that looks like. Uh, It's application. What does that look like when I go uh, to home, wives and husbands? What does that look like uh, in my relationships with my children, parents and children? What does this look like in work and in school, slaves and masters? Brilliant. Thank you, Paul. This is so helpful. Now I see what I meant to do. Now I see how I meant to do it. I have a grandfather who once was um, a farmer, and if you know any farmers, you know they're very um, confident in their abilities. They're very stubborn in the way of not needing help. Headstrong might be a good word. Willful is another word. One day, he he was um, working in the milking parlor, I think it was, and he needs to cut a piece of wood. And so he gets his saw, and he, he, he knows his tools, he knows what he's doing, he's done this thousands of times before. Uh, and he starts soaring, and things, things are going well, he's going to go through this in about two minutes. This is, this is brilliant, it's not hurting his shoulder, it's not too much exertion. Things are going well, and then, bang. He hits the main electrical line for the building. 
and he shoots backwards. And you can imagine him sitting there with his hair burnt at the end and smoke coming out of his ears, maybe, if you watch a lot of cartoons. The saw is stuck in the electrical line in a crumpled mess, and that actually is smoking. Why do I tell you that? He thought he knew what he was doing. The only thing that saved him were the, sole, the thick rubber soles on his boots. He thought he knew what he was doing. He came in confidently. He's done this thousands of times before. We think, we look at this and we think, yes, I, I know what I'm not meant to do. I know what I am meant to do. Yes, I understand. And, and now Paul's laid out for us instructions for home. Brilliant. I, I can go and do that. I'm going to go and each day I'm going to live as I meant to and not do what I meant. You know, I, I've got this covered. And you go in and the first day you fail. The first day you fail, just look at those instructions for home. Wives, submit yourselves as to your husbands as is fitting for the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. We can't even do that. We can't even do that. We go into our week confidently, knowing what we've been told, hearing the grace that we can take on Sunday, and we're ready. And we go in on Monday, and oh, what a stupid man that I am. How much have I failed? Surely God is done with me. Surely. We've tried before and we failed. So now hearing this again, Evan, what's the point? So what do we do? Well, if you've noticed, we've only looked at verse 5 to chapter 4, verse 1. We seem to be missing a few verses. How does Paul start this chapter? Since then, you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What do we do? We set our minds and our hearts, two distinct aspects of our personality, on Jesus. All right, so what does that look like? Well, what do we do? We begin our day with Christ, trusting that he will be at work helping us, going forth with us, being our strength, being everything we need. And then when we get to the end of the day, having failed, most likely, we end our day with Christ. Trusting that Jesus has paid it all for me and for you. You can try, if you want, take one of those things that we're not meant to do and one of those things that we are meant to do. Maybe you say, I'm not going to be angry today. And maybe you say, I'm going to be patient today. But you know, you go into the day and as soon as, soon as you set foot at the, out to your bedroom door, you have your cup of coffee and you spill it on yourself and suddenly you're angry. So that's gone out the door. And, and maybe you say, oh, right, I'm going to be patient today. And then your printer messes up 
and you're not so patient. If I don't begin that day with Jesus, I have no hope. If I don't end that day with Jesus, I hate myself, and I still have no hope. My friends, if you trust in Jesus, begin and end your day with him. Because you have died, and your life, where is it? Hidden with Christ in God. Why is it hidden? Because he's passed it through judgment himself, passed it through death. If you're, if you're with Jesus, what, what does the Bible say? Our names are written in the book of life. And life is yours. John Piper says that Jesus has promised in the prophets. He has purchased at the cross and has performed in his life our holiness for now. Because of Jesus we can live. And if we can live, then we can live visible lives for him. Remember, we are to be different for a purpose. If, and if we are to live visible lives for him, brilliant. Because everything visible is there and able to be vis- seen visibly so that it brings glory to God. With him there is change. So let us, as Paul writes elsewhere, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, trusting God to do his work. And so there no longer has to be hell in your marriage. There doesn't have to be hell in your childhood or as parents. There doesn't have to be hell in work or in school. There doesn't have to be hell because Jesus is there. Does this mean we do not struggle? Does this mean we do not fail? No. But we go forward trusting that Jesus is with us and for us and will not let us go. We have hope because he lives and we can live through these instructions with his help. But if you are not trusting in Jesus, what hope is there? As we looked at this morning, there were only two people groups. There was only the Israelites who were safe and the Egyptians who died. And if Christians are the Israelites, everybody else is the Egyptians. There's no hope in life. You can lay at home, and and I know the feeling, because if you do not trust Jesus, you lay there at night, and you don't want to close your eyes. You want to distract yourself as long as possible, so that your mind doesn't wake up and start realizing, and causing you to remember all those awful things you've done, all those regrets you have, all that emptiness you have. I know, because I've been there. That's what happens. If you do not have Jesus, you have no hope. But Jesus is available. We can serve Jesus. We can come to Jesus. We can have hope and life eternal with him. Trust Jesus, please. Because without him, there is nothing. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Saviour and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Shall we pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you 
uh, have called us to be yours. You have bought us at a great price. And now, Lord, you ask us to live different lives, distinct lives, that they may glorify you. But, Lord, we need only look at ourselves and realize our failures. How often we turn from you and want other things. Forgive us, Lord, for loving things more than we should love you who created them. But, Father God, as we have seen, we can have life with Jesus. So help us, Lord, we pray, to trust that you will be at work in our lives. Help us to end the day trusting that you have died for our sins and have paid the penalty. Thank you, Lord, that we are yours and we can have hope in you. But, Lord, help us not to be passive. Help us to strive together as one body to serve you as best as we can. Change our mindset, change our hearts if need be. Break us down and mould us again in your image. Lord, we cry out to you for we need you. Oh, we need you. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.